Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Michael Siegel, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. And today, presented alongside the likes of Andy Murray and Martina Navratilova by Michael Siegel, who I think has missed a trick by not pronouncing his name Seagal, a la Steven Seagal. But anyway... In fact, you got quite excited about the <laughs> prospect did. of uh, Michael Seagal, didn't you? Sorry, Michael. Michael Seagal, uh, one of our Kickstarter backers, who is chair of the Pensions Committee uh, for the WTA Tour, which, it, which sounds like a... Pretty interesting job. Pretty stand-up job, that, isn't it? Pretty stand-up job. So Michael Siegel, not Seagal. Thank you very much uh, providing that lovely intro to our show uh, today. A little bit of housekeeping, David Law, who joins me at Costa Coffee in the Putney Exchange before we start talking about this week's tennis. And that is to say that uh, last week we persistently <laughs> mispronounced the name of Amanda. Take it away, David. Oh, no. Uh, Amanda Anisimova, <laughs> yeah. who we were calling Amanda Animisova. Animisova, and, yeah. And various other I think versions. rolls off the tongue nicely. And actually, we were saying them A bit like Michael Segal, really. Yeah, we were saying them alternately wrong we were. and right. And uh, so, anyway, Amanda Anisimova. I bet in 10 years' time, when she's, you know, a 15-time Grand Slam champion, has been world number one for five years, we'll listen back to that sweet episode when we couldn't pronounce her name properly. Yeah, once but in a from while. this day forwards, David, we will correctly call her Amanda Anisimova. Yeah, remember when we didn't know how to say Goran Ivanisovic? Was there a time? Yeah, yesterday. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so anyway, that's last week. Uh, we have righted those wrongs, hopefully. Thanks, as always, to all the people that pointed out those wrongs. On yes, various you. forms of social media. Uh, luckily, David, I think all the people that we have to talk about this week, I think we are sorted re-pronunciations. Speak for yourself. It's, right, OK. Um, now, I'm going to offer you the choice uh, because it's always contentious. We had, uh, well, a brilliant... I think overall the women's tournament was better in Indian Wells, but the men's final was better than the yes. men's final. So... Uh, whichever final we talk about first, we will talk about all of all of that side of things first. So I give you the choice of Federer Delpo 
or Osaka Kazakina? I think I'm going to go for Del Pastro Fedra for the reason that it is so recent in my mind because it was last night and I know that it was last night because I was supposed to go to bed at 9 o'clock because I've got a 4.30 alarm call and there I was still 11.30 with just five hours sleep to go still watching and the reason is because it was just, well, it was a bit like the Miami match of last year between Kyrgios and Federer and that same thing happened in that match just couldn't go to bed because it was just so pulsating and it this one had everything because Del Potro came out just on fire wallop in the ball it was it was so reminiscent of the last couple of sets of the US Open final that they play, played in 2009 and then really I, I did not see Federer coming back in that match the way it was going he had to dig in to the reserves part of it was he was having to show his fight, and, and I think I think that is underestimated. What a gritty scrapper he can be. He, Swarthy he, pirate Federer with his beard yeah. and his scrappiness. He's not afraid to get down and dirty in a tennis match if he has to. And, you know, drill the ball through Juan Martín Del Potro's chest as he tried to do deep in the third set, which, incidentally, I think ended up working against him because he seemed to get Del Potro mad. That Favourite doesn't happen very ever often. stare. Yeah. from Del Potro at that, Federer which Federer's turned back and so I think Federer knew he was going to get a stare so he turned he, his back very quickly he completely blanked him didn't he but I felt that Federer kept himself afloat with the with the, the fighting spirit but he also had to adapt his game and you saw the way he was he was having to just conjure shots off with his wrist and off his toes because the sheer velocity of the ball coming at him the depth and the relentlessness of the Del Potro game was frankly too much for him he was being overwhelmed and he managed to just find the magic and that's what he has above everybody else that I've ever seen play the game is this ability to find another gear not with power not with depth not even with serving but just using the ball in a way that no one else can and use their power against them so he gets into this third set, looks as if he's absolutely on course for the win. He's got two match points, yeah, three five, match points. Five in the four end. on uh, serving for it, forty fifteen. Yeah, and he, so he had two consecutive, three in total, two consecutive. I, partly it was wrestled from his grasp, but actually it was. Choke feels too negative and harsh. He certainly got tight, nervous, and blew it. Frankly, he did blow it. Two double faults in the deciding tiebreak. That is unusual. A- yeah. and, and a handful of unforced errors as well. I, I, as you say, I mean, Del Potro didn't put a foot wrong in that tiebreak, but two double faults in a tiebreak from Roger Federer. That is unheard of. But there was also, when, when he did get drilled with that backhand, Del Potro, he did get angry. And, I mean, he was already hitting the ball incredibly well. And then he sort of went into otherworldliness with the power because it, it was like... It was like a hurricane coming through the Indian Wales Tennis Garden. It was just knocking Federer off his feet. The rallying balls that Federer, perfectly decent ones that Federer was putting in, were just being clobbered for clean winners. And, and not just off the forehand either, the backhand as well. He drills that backhand so flat. And the other thing that really struck me was how well Del Potro played at the net. There were a few times when Federer tried his really exaggerated slice that just drops and brings in the big you know sightwise it looks like he's lumbering Del Potro he actually runs and moves a heck of a lot better than that but when he was getting to the net he was brought in 
but he's so big it's hard to get it past him so Federer's just absolutely whacking the ball at him with all sorts of spin on it and loop on it and Del Potro's just stepping out the way of it and middling it away for, for clean winner volleys I thought he was fantastic I th- that's that's the second best I've ever seen Del Potro play second to to US the US Open, Open final last two sets but it was quite similar there, there are times in both of those matches when it has felt as though Roger Federer is using a pea shooter against a tank you know <laughs> that he, he, and he's a powerful guy with weapons of his own Federer it just felt you know it was we, we all like to use the 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 Thor and the Hulk comparisons for Del Potro and it felt like a Marvel tennis match you know this Roger Sorcerer against one Martin Del Thortre. Cough wanted to say that for that, a while. I mean, that was just off the top of his head, yeah, ladies and yeah, gentlemen, just wrote obviously. that one last night, yeah. <laughs> uh, having studied all sorts of other people's. But no, it's, it, I can really frame it like that in my head of, of this guy trying to find spells and magic and wizardry to, to deal with this wrecking machine down the other end of the court. And that's what Del Patro was. He was absolutely amazing. Yeah, seven six in the third, and we have to talk about. Uh, incidentally, that's his first ever Masters one thousand win. She's absurd. Isn't it? It's just absurd. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Um, yeah, won a Grand Slam before he won a, a Masters Masters one thousand. So that's, I mean, that's that's huge in itself. But what he dealt with yesterday in terms of the the pro Federer crowd, we know you get a pro Federer crowd anywhere no matter who's who's playing that is standard and he's earned it and no one wants to take that from him but it was it was uncomfortable to say the least at times yesterday I I, I think um, and uh, I think he channeled it well he used it to get himself fired up I'd, I'd love to know what I'd love to know what Federer really thinks about it whether he actually thinks guys you're uh, you're not doing any doing me any favours here, you know. I'm glad you're supporting me, but chill out, chill out, dudes. No, I don't. I honestly don't think he's thinking that at all. I think he's riding it as like a wave. It's, I really do. It's bizarre, though, isn't it? Because Del Potro is in many ways. It, it's a very different love to to the love that Federer generates. But Del Potro is one of the most loved players. You know, I think about sitting outside the media centre at the US Open last year waiting for you to record the podcast and I could hear the chants of Delpo those football chants those Delpo coming from what was it it was grandstand court wasn't it where he was coming back from two sets of love down against Dominic team and was battling through the flu and all of that and it was one of the most moving sounds I've ever heard he is in one very particular way more loved than Federer or certainly evokes more raw emotion than Federer but and yet, and yet, people were still cheering his missed serves yesterday. His missed, yeah. his missed first serves. So, so <laughs> it's 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 an interesting one because even before that match, a couple of days ago, I I, I started a talking point about whether tennis should bring in rules onto the tours and into the slams that can maybe penalise a player if if the crowd support gets too much and starts putting off an opponent etc like they do in Davis Cup is what, what I suggested should that happen now the ma- majority of people were like no that's ridiculous so I think over 70% of people thought that's that's nonsense and you can't do that a lot of people got very upset that they felt that um, 
having a go at them as Federer fans. And look, um, he is the point of reference, the main point of reference. And I would go back to the match against Djokovic at the US Open yeah. 2015, the, the one against Kyrgios last year in Miami, th- this one. And look, there are many others involving many other players. There have been certain matches. Andy Murray's played at Wimbledon. There's Garbini Muguruza getting very upset against the French player. I can't even remember Ludenovic. who it was. Ludenovic, yeah, over on Longland last so, year. So look, yeah. it doesn't just happen in Federer matches, but there is no question. There are times watching Roger Federer matches when the sheer adulation, the sheer desperation for people to have him win and to to underline their love for him by winning again and getting to celebrate the moment sometimes it goes to a level that is quite uncomfortable to watch and at at the same time do you want to remove that raw emotion from I d- a tennis crowd? I absolutely crowd? don't know. What I would, well, I, I, I'd go I'll hit you with a difficult question. If how, I, so would know. I. So would I. But how do you think Fergus Murphy dealt with it? As an isn't it down to the umpire to manage that emotion? Well, I was uh, I was watching I was watching this this at the time, and I know Fergus Murphy a little bit. I've I've known him for twenty years. Uh, he was on he was on the tour when I was on the tour. Spent couple of hours in a car driving through the Swiss mountains That's during David his Law's history as a professional tennis player that he's you know failed to mention up until this point yeah and so we I remember us driving through this these mountains and and having a he's a really interesting company he's a really interesting guy and a lot of the umpires are actually I mean it's a very unusual lifestyle the fact that they they're traveling 30 weeks a year on this circuit they have all of them having dinner together I remember back when I was on the tour, it was always having dinner and talking about Jeff Tarango and the run-ins and scrapes that had with him. I've told Jeff this since, and it's it's just how do you deal with these these situations, these characters these days? It would be Nick Kyrgios. Now Fergus Murphy is somebody who's in the chair, and he likes a row. He likes to have back chat. If 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 a player gets in his face, he gives them some back. He he he's got plenty of one-liners of his own. Doesn't always go down that well. I mean, some of the arguments I've seen him have with Andy Roddick over the years, you know, I, I could watch them on YouTube quite happily because they're just so entertaining. He's had some with Andy Murray, and I don't I don't know what all the players' opinions of him are behind the scenes because, you know. It's very different when they're out there, but some of them would be wound up by it, and some people would be thinking, you know, he just needs to stay out of it, stop trying to be too clever, just call the score and, and look after the, the match. Personally, I thought he did an excellent job yesterday, and, you know... Because you, you love aggro. Well, I do love aggro, but, but I also think it requires somebody who's not just going to be rattled the moment that Roger Federer gets a little bit upset. Yeah. Because a lot of umpires, I think it would be very tempting when you've got such a massive crowd behind Federer and all he has to do is raise his voice in your direction or look like he's ticking you off and that crowd are going to be on your case. You see it in football matches, the home crowd getting influenced by the referee. And I'm not saying that umpires are going to try and be unfair in favour of Roger Federer, but I think human nature will tell you that it can... It can rattle you a bit. Yeah, look at the stats on penalties at Old Trafford. I, <laughs> I like the fact that Fergus Murphy was having none of it, quite honestly. I think, I think yeah, I think he slightly, he does like to grandstand just a little bit. Um, and he, I think he, when, when he said to the crowd, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I think it was something like, could I just draw your attention to the <laughs> yeah. words you're using between serves, what's coming out of your mouth, basically. And, and I thought, well, funny line, first of all. 
but I like the fact that he's not going to be intimidated by Roger Federer or by one Martin Del Potro. He was trying to just manage the match. And Richard Ings, who used to be an excellent uh, chair umpire for the ATB, was head of all the rules. He tweeted, actually, you know, it is not surprising that players get grumpy in a match like that because they want to win so much. It's really tense and they're going to they're gonna get upset. You've got to not make it worse. You've got to find a way to just keep the match moving. And, uh, and uh, Fergus I mean, Murphy did that. Crowd, uh, crowd aside, f- Del Potro always brings out grumpy Fed, doesn't he? What is it about Del Potro? Well, is, he rattles him like few mm, others do. because like, Unlike any others. I mean, obviously, currently. Yeah. There was a line um, in a write-up I read on, on Tennis.com, in the headline, actually. It, it said, it's a victory that's put the edge back into the ATP. And I really, I really agree with that because... Look, I, I love Federer like everyone. I love I love seeing him play his best. I love his tennis. But there is there is nobody in any sport, possibly with the exception of football, um, but there is no individual in any sport that I like or I'm a fan of enough to not want to see a contest. I could you know I, I could be watching a member of my family play and I'd still not want to see them win six love six love. I, I love a contest more than anything. That Even is when Reading are playing. Well, I did slightly give football a bit of an exception there, but that, that, that's 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 for another another day, another podcast. Not doing um, very well, Reading, are they? Oi, people in glass houses. Um, yeah, so so I, you know, I don't want to see as beautiful as it it may sometimes look. I never want to see a procession for anyone to to a title or or through through even an individual match. So the. the the, re-ign- the reignition of, of this rivalry. You need jeopardy, don't you? Absolutely, for, for sporting you do. And I, greatness. I mean, the, the the people inside that stadium don't. There's an awful lot of people that do just want to see. Would love nothing more than watch, to watch Federer win Love and Love. Um, I accept that that I, is a know, thing, but I, I don't most feel that way. Would prefer to have seen Federer win seven six in the third than than win six one six one. Yeah, but if it's a choice between him not winning and him winning Love and Love, yes, well. I agree with you. Um, go for but win. anyway, I really like that line. It's put the edge back in the ATP because barring those absolute die-hard Federer fans, this is what tennis needs. This is absolutely what tennis needs. And um, it, it, Del Pocho's now up to six in the world on he current He can take formies. it out of people's hands. He That's can. the interesting thing. He can. You can stick him at his best into any moment over the last 15 years when Nadal was dominating, when Djokovic was dominating, when Federer was dominating, if you stick Del Potro at his best up against any of them, he will win some of the matches and he will take away some of their Grand Slam titles in, if he was stuck into a final against these guys. It's a very good point. And Federer, Federer stays at number one. Had he won uh, Indian Wells, he would have been guaranteed to stay at number one throughout Miami, whatever happened. He could have pulled out of Miami. I'm not saying that was necessarily ever an option but uh, the fact that he didn't win the final means he now has to reach the quarters of Miami in order not to cede the number one to Nadal now I I think there's a possibility that he might have pulled out of Miami had he been assured of of, of that number one position but it ain't happening now no I wouldn't have thought so um, I wonder if I'll get a shave now yeah I don't know don't know swarthy fed i'm not i'm not sure about it so um, it there's a, a line he's, that uh, somebody he, pointed out to me um that uh, our good friend and and 
occasional contributor, particularly at Queen, Gigi Salmon, described Roger Federer with a beard as bad Superman. There's a, a film of yeah. Superman where... Superman where, 3, isn't it? Yeah, where, where he I gets think. his... I think Was it's it 4, two? where he gets his alter oh, ego. Oh, no, not 4. And, all right, well, anyway, 3 no, we don't like okay, 4. Okay, so he gets his alter ego, who's who's got a bit of a stubble, and who's in a really bad mood, and yeah, he's trying to beat people Superman up. Yeah, bad Superman was horrible. Yeah, so... Have a shave, Roger. He was an imposter. It's, it's funny because he's a man that spent 20 years cultivating the image as the ultimate smooth guy. I mean, if there's one sort of adjective to describe Roger Federer's sort of aesthetic image, you'd probably go with smooth. So there's a certain irony in the bid. Maybe, maybe he just wants to escape from being smooth Roger Federer Pete for Sampras grew a goatee when he was closing in on six successive years at world number one at the end of the year. He was so sort of drained and stressed and tired. He grew a beard and... He's starting to play rubbish. <laughs> and I told, I told him, actually. Marginal gains. Yeah, didn't get over very well. Marginal beard-based gains. Uh, before we move on to talk about uh, the women's competition in India Miles, just a couple of bits to touch upon. Borna Choric challenging Federer in that semi-final. Could it finally be happening for Borna Choric? Well, I think he... What is it finally happening for Borna Choric? I'm, I'm really pleased for him because he's had a couple of rough years. Rough, and rough, rough, yeah. really just plateaued completely and actually gone away disintegrated really at his game he's had I think he had a big injury as well but I mean you know when you think of the excitement levels when he first came on the scene and he had a couple of big wins almost feel as though a couple of the big wins he had came too easily against big name players who clearly were not at their best Mm -hmm. and it made you feel as though this guy is taking over against them well he probably wasn't and he was probably playing a high level against great players who just were nowhere near their best level um, and he's had to go back and work on his game he's, he's, he's guided now by Riccardo Piatti who uh, has had a hand in so many good players like Ivan Lubacic who is incidentally the manager of uh, um, Borna Choric as well which is another little interesting side and Riccardo Piatti former coach of thanks very much for the segue Milos Raonic who I think it's safe to say he's not announced anything but I I mean, marks out of 10 for the Goran Ivanovic coaching trial are probably, you know, relative to his results previously, that's an enormous week. For, Good solid for eight. At least an I was, I was, I was almost going to say nine then. Mm, 8.5. And also, in terms of the, the neutral observer, Goran Ivanovic courtside interviews are now a thing, which, which is, is a, marvellous, happen, a yeah. marvellous development. Yeah, didn't he do one when he was watching his man Raonic against Sam Querrey yeah, and, and got asked by Pam Shriver, what do you think of the match? And he goes, well, you know, this is a basically rubbish match. <laughs> Pretty rubbish. I think it's fair to say, um, with all due respect to both players, given the, the best matches tend to involve contrast of styles, Raonic versus Querrey isn't necessarily the neutral's dream ticket, is it? No. You probably have to really make sure you, you know, got yourself a good book. <laughs> uh, Just in case. Yeah. Goran probably had his phone out sort of underneath the <laughs> underneath the chair. Uh, anyway, I would expect that little dalliance to continue into Miami. Yes. I, look, as you've said a number of times, Goran's burst in for an appointment <laughs> with somebody. He needs something to keep him out of the tour and, and, and get his teeth into another Grand Slam champion to be. And, and actually, Raonic is a great prospect for him in as much as he's reached a Wimbledon final. He's obviously got a huge game. There's stuff to work with. And he's got another bloke who he can just say, 
Just go out and hit the thing. <laughs> On that note, women's tennis, David. What impersonations have you got for us uh, for us in the Osaka Kazakina front? Apparently, we've all been pronouncing Kazakina wrong as have well. We? Yeah. Oh no! What have we got to call it? Some Kazatkina or something like that. Oh, but dear. I just I can't I can't bring myself to do it quite yet. No. No, that's that could and I always, take some And doing. I do think with the, the the Russian and some of the um, Baltic names, it doesn't quite track the exact pronunciation, the exact um, uh, emphasis you're supposed to put on the various syllables. It doesn't actually translate into English brilliantly. So that this is all justification for us continuing to say Kazakhina for the duration of this episode. Yes. After which we will... We get will, it right. We will conduct a, a, an inquiry and make sure we get it right. Okay. Yeah, well, those two have put a smile on my face over the last uh, week, and I think just about anybody who loves the sport. Um, both of them in different ways have come along over the last three years and at times have just made the heart sing because of the way they come out and play with style and and... Just Very some, different style yeah, as well. Yeah, they're swashbuckling players, but as you say, in completely different ways. Both incredibly likable, I think. When you when you hear from them, when you hear them interviewed, when when you you speak to them, I've not interviewed Kasatkina no, before. No, 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 no. no. Uh, Kasatkina. Yeah. I have not interviewed her yet before, but but I did interview Osaka at the U.S. Open. She's the one who told me a joke in an interview, uh, which I'd never had before, um, and she showed the sort of personality she had in the presentation when she gave her incredible acceptance speech her first ever on the pro tour and you could kind of tell but she just lapped it up and i think somebody on twitter said it was just peak awkwardness because the way she sort of except addressed it's the not, crowd though i know i know what you mean except, but it's not it's just her and, yeah, and it's, it's, it's she's she is lovable um the way she delivers the lines it's so natural it's just her and uh she doesn't try and just lay it on with a trowel the way so many players are asked to do by media coaches and agents etc she's one of those players like like um you know madison keys when she first first burst on the scene that six three six two over a kazakina in the final yesterday and, and other you know, a whole week of absolutely sensational victories. When she's playing tennis like that and she's winning the matches, you sort of think, well, how is she ever going to lose a tennis match? Like, uh, it seems completely, you know, well, obviously she's just going to win everything <laughs> from now on. It just looks so not easy for her because she's been on the scene for a couple of years and she has had to, to work through it. It's not all come really easily, but her tennis is so good and so pure that now she's got it clicked into gear. I know yeah. I, I know this isn't how it'll be, but it just looks like how how, how can this go wrong? Yeah, if you line her game up against just about anybody, strictly the shots, what she can do, then she stands alongside anybody. Um, it is Serena Williams-like in terms of its power and um, precision and the athleticism she has as well. But I was thinking, I mean, bear in mind this is somebody who beat along the way. Maria Sharapova, I know she's injured, she's pulled out of Miami, forearm injury, etc. 
beat her straightforwardly, and she thrashed all of these people in straight mm-hmm. sets. Agnieszka Radvanska, um, who else did she beat along the way? I mean, she she Pliskova. beat Pliskova three and two, I think. You know, these are these are just thumpings that she's <laughs> yeah. dishing out to really top players. Is Naomi Osaka, and she's won that title. And the thing is, people were then asking the sort of question that we always ask which is right now what how far can this player go uh, is this a top five player of the future is this a world number one of the future is this a grand Halep slam champion the other of the future yeah and she thrashed Halep as well my feeling is I mean I don't know Naomi Osaka at all I've only interviewed her that once seen her speak a lot of times and just even trying to pick up things she says and in social media and the way she says them my one question mark is does she really want all that? Is she really that into it in terms of what comes with it, the the, the spotlight, the attention? But you don't the, necessarily the have to want all that. You just have to be able to cope with all that. I know, but don't those two things come hand in hand in a way? If you, if you don't want it, can you cope with it? That's yeah, I, my I think big question we, we have had more shy and not necessarily retiring but we have had more reluctant number ones over over the years yeah there are some that adore the spotlight and are extremely comfortable in it and it it certainly presents an obstacle dealing with all of that look at Angelique Kerber and how but but that was as much I think the pressure of being world number one as the the I think there was a lot going on there with her at number one it was a combination of, of, of the pressure and also the the distractions and the difficulty of adjusting to a, a new lifestyle. I think, a, I get the impression Osaka would be okay with the pressure. Um, the, the lifestyle aspects. I just wonder subconsciously whether it might take an edge off her desire to to be the very best she can be because it's not really her to to have all that around I, I'm just not sure Andy Murray's not into all that kind of stuff though He's but he has such an insatiable desire to compete you don't so you don't think is it that that's I missing just, then I just don't know just I don't know I don't know her I can't tell I mean look she, let's thing, get to know her better the David. other thing <laughs> is well absolutely the other thing is though <laughs> Catherine she is a player who doesn't need to play the sport the way Andy Murray does, who needs to just fight and scrap for, for stuff. I know he's got a bigger game than some, but she's got the sort of game that can overwhelm. She can win matches easily. Um, so she can win matches within herself. Now, I think in order to absolutely maximise her career, she's going to need to push as well. Um, and then there's that question mark to me. How hard does she want to push? How good does she want to become? Well, I, I for one, and I'm, I know I'm not alone in this, it's such a Naomi Osaka bandwagon these days, isn't it? Everyone just loves her. But I, I desperately hope she does want it enough to, to realise her talent because, she, I mean, she's just so great. She's so unguarded and um, she's just really cool. She, But she's cool in a completely relatable way. If I was 18, I would desperately want to be like Naomi Osaka and... That's brilliant, isn't it? She's exactly the sort of person that that people should want to be like. She's just herself. She's just she's really cool without trying to be. She's just she's a wonderful bundle of sort of um, awkward self consciousness and total self assuredness. She's she knows she's she's a bit self conscious and awkward, but she's also sort of cool with that. Yeah, um, she embraces it. She embraces it, and she knows she's got a talent, but 
she, you know, she, she manages to be completely down to earth and all the rest of it. I just think that people wanting to be like Naomi Osaka, girls or boys, is a great thing. So the more prominence she can rise to, the better. Do you know, I agree with that because, yeah, it, it's very easy to want to put champions and stars in a certain identikit isn't it and just have them all come out the mold in the same way and and saying the right things etc and actually people looking up to them don't always say the right things don't always feel that polished and smooth etc and yeah i agree with you maybe maybe that's a role model for good don't polish off the edges too vociferously let her be who she is and, and Doric has a keener in her way I mean she's she, poor thing she's so she's been overshadowed by Osaka in terms of the result obviously and just because Osaka is so captivating personality wise but she's pretty cool herself Kazakina she's not a cookie cutter um, identikit you know just conveyor belt type of person she's she's got a bit of edge oh for sure she's she's got a very interesting watchable game Completely yeah, different to, to Osaka. And a game that for a, for a couple of years has, has stagnated. Wonderful talent when she first came along. Certainly over the last year or so, there's been this feel that, well, where's the identity? What is she trying to be? How does she win her points? How does she win her matches? A little Dimitrov-like in that way. She can do all this stuff, but to what end? You know, it's reactive. Now it feels like she's got a coach who's really clocked who she is and what she's about and how to use her, her her toolkit and oh it's such a joy to watch because it's all spins and floaty and and fancy pictures that she's painting brush strokes rather than ground strokes speaking of joy to watch david you've seen the miami draw i have seen the miami draw it's so interesting, isn't it? It's such an amazing punctuation mark to the, the debate that was being had this week as a result of some, some really interesting comments from Simona Halep. Simona Halep rocked up to watch the Williams sisters play one another, a match which was just yeah. about to happen um, when we recorded uh, our podcast last week. She turned up as a fan of the Williams sisters to watch and, of course, she ended up being asked about that in Indian Wells and, um, you know, she said how great they are, paid tribute to them and she said, look, I, I'm a... I'm a de facto number one. Serena Williams is the best player in the world and she ought to have some sort of protected ranking, not necessarily number one, but there ought to be some sort of provision for maternity leave, for, for players taking time off. And Steve Simon, the, the CEO of WTA, has uh, said that that is something that will be looked into. It can't be implemented straight away. But as a glorious punctuation mark to all of that debate, Naomi Osaka champion of Indian Wells has drawn Serena Williams in round one in Miami <laughs> I mean you just could not make that up it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous it's brilliant uh, I mean when when is that match <laughs> I, I want to book off the night um, so yeah that, that's going to be fantastic to watch just to, quickly on that I, I think it it's a shame in a way that sometimes these these things have to come up in order for us to address them but it is it's good news that that Serena Williams pregnancy and absence and etc has now shone a light on the fact that that needs addressing um, and is now being talked about as as somebody who needs to be able to come back and have have a place in the seedings you know rather than just being shunted aside because she's been out of the game being pregnant for for, for, for a year 
Um, the other thing is, I, I thought that was great to see Simona Hallett wanting to go and watch the Williams sisters play each other and just be a fan of the sport and two people who've been so important to the sport. For the reigning world number one to do that, that's that's great. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, very well said, David. Um, I couldn't have said it better myself. A um, couple of other bits of news from the week in tennis. Now... We talked. It was a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it, that we were talking about the ITF proposals for the overhaul of the Davis Cup, backed by Gerard Piquet and his uh, his um, billions, <laughs> his many many billions. <laughs> Got a few quid. Um, and we knew at the time that Gerard Piquet and his billions had been in conversation uh, with the ATP, and, and that those conversations, for for reasons unknown um, or certainly unconfirmed had broken down well now what's happening is that the ATP are seemingly hastily um, trying to cobble together a proposal for the revival of the World Team Cup which is a tournament that existed into the 90s at the end of the year essentially well, an ATP rival mm-hmm. to the Davis Cup and we now seem to have a sort of team competition arms race going on between the ATP and the ITF to, to get their plan in place and to get sufficient backing to get it pushed through because there seems to be a general acceptance that these two events cannot coexist and both be successful. There's only room for one at most with the Labour Cup seemingly going nowhere. Um, so now we have this sort of bizarre um, sort of Stand up. We have a bizarre. Um, yeah, what, what's the word? I I'm think arms for? race was a very good arms uh, race. Yeah, good, I mean, good way of putting it. it. But they're, they're both making public statements, aren't they? One has rushed bullish out public statements. The ITF yeah. have very quickly rushed out their uh, their proposal, and that is going to go to a vote in in August. Um, they need two thirds of the vote. Is it two thirds or three quarters? Two, two thirds. Two of the thirds vote, of the vote. Yeah. They need in order to get their proposals Which, through. An indication seems to be that might be hard work. Yeah, it's certainly it's going to be close. Certainly, desperate lobbying going on behind the scenes, I would imagine. Um, and then, as you say, whilst in Indian Wells, Russell Fuller, I think it was, who reported, and Chris Clary reported the statement of Chris Commode saying that, you know, our attention is to go ahead with the World Team Cup, which they'd intimated during the Australian Open, I think, or ahead of the Australian Open, that that's what they were going to try to do in a association with Tennis Australia and effectively run it in place of those ATP events at the start of the year in Brisbane and Sydney and all those. Yeah, I mean, Chris Kermode in his statement said that it's something they've been working on for 18 months, which I'm quite sure is the case, but certainly the, there's an acceleration of the cogs turning, certainly. They're, they're definitely, they are pretty much acknowledging that they're in a, a, a total race against side at a time Jamie Murray has said that he would rather you know a few various people speaking out have said Jamie Murray said he would rather do the ATP associated event if, if they can get their act together obviously we've had Marin Cilic on, on the podcast talking about his uh, backing for the for the Davis Cup proposal it's going to divide players it's going to divide opinion it's going to divide which is the problem I mean, yeah, it, 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 the, the, this division in tennis, I know it's, it's nothing new. These three different governing bodies all seemingly competing one to, with one another. And 
who know, I, I've no doubt, well, I've virtually no doubt that, that at some point in the future there will be a team competition in tennis, whether it be the ATP one, the, the Davis Cup, whatever, which will be good and will be a success. But why, why can't everyone, why can't we all just get along? And why are, why is the, I know there's plans to revise the Fed Cup, but the, the, the women's aspect of it is just being totally left behind, completely in all of it. Um, Albeit, um, David Haggerty did say there is an intention in 2020 he, to do something very similar. He did, similar. but given that the ATP, I can, obviously I understand why the ATP have no interest in, in getting the WTA involved, but they're associated with Tennis Australia in this venture. So why aren't Tennis Australia wanting to also engage the WTA and create the old... That would be the way to make your proposal the king of the proposals. That's That could be a USP that no one's going for. Unite men's and women's a Hopman well, cop style but make it do it properly the, there's two things um, that, that that come out of it for me one is that anybody without a vested interest in any of this who doesn't have um a property to try to protect or an, or a venture to try to further i think pretty much agrees wouldn't it be just great if they could just get together and combine and come up with a great combination of of a team competition that has the feel of a fifth slam as we've talked about here before and that just you know furthers the interests of tennis as opposed to whichever business venture we happen to be talking about the second thing is there is a better precedent for this if you to go back 20 years and or, or slightly less and, and remember the grand slam cup that was inaugurated by the itf a multi-million dollar year-end event which happened after the ATP finals and you've effectively got I think it was any player who got to the quarterfinals of a slam got into the Grand Slam Cup and it was sort of 16 player draw and knockout etc etc that lasted for a few years and certain players earned an absolute fortune by winning that that tournament and then eventually thankfully common sense prevailed the ATP finals and the Grand Slam Cup merged became one event which is the ATP finals as we know it today I hope eventually that that might happen with this in some way but there are absolutely no indications there's no indications of olive branch of any any sort of the opposite really that's because everybody's just establishing their ground at this point and seeing if they can do it individually I would imagine why why is that the ultimate is it just money why is doing it individually the the dream well they would have for anyone I'm quite sure they've had conversations they just haven't managed to reach any sort of agreement and therefore they are shouting the loudest if they possibly can do you think the WTA have been involved in any of the conversations no idea and I would probably imagine not um but that, that's only a guess. Um, what's going to happen then? What are we going to end up with? Well, like in I say, I'm an optimist. What's the calendar going to I, th- I look don't know about like? 2019, but I'm an optimist, and I think and I hope eventually there is some sort of um, realization that we just need to get in a room and thrash this out and get one decent team competition. In addition to the Labour Cup, probably because actually that's only a three-day event. Um, is it a problem? Probably not. Federer is deflecting all the questioning Marvel. whenever he's asked about any of it he just ends up talking about how great the Labour Cup is (laughs) (laughs) which is yeah I mean of course he was we talked about it a couple of weeks ago didn't we he wasn't going to be drawn on it but there you go Um, bits and bobs 
of business, David, uh, related, I'm very pleased to say, to gin and tonic. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Never a bad thing for us. Um, we've got a, the uh, Queen's Club Championships, as it has been briefly known for the past few weeks, has a, has a name. It does. It is to be the Fever Tree Championships hereafter. The reason for that is because Fever Tree, which is a, a premium brand mixer drink company, uh, and you, yes, you it's get... a life changing form of tonic water. Life changing. <laughs> Honestly, I am. Um... I, I, I've, I've long thought that I should work on some, some, some kind of commission for Fever Tree. So this is, really? the, this is the brand partnership that, that I've been waiting for. Yeah, I, I mean, it is... I know everyone thinks, oh, you know, Schweppes have got... Schweppes, you know, I'm sorted with my Schweppes tonic water. The, uh, trying Fever Tree will change your attitude towards a, a gin and tonic. I promise that. And got all have I paid you to say that? <laughs> Why are you saying that? Well, I mean, explain this to me. You should have seen uh, you should have seen our WhatsApp trail when David informed me just a couple of days ago that Fever Tree were going to be the new um, title sponsor of Queens. I was beside myself. Why? I got I got all of my different flavours of Fever Tree out of the cupboard in celebration. <laughs> she did, including um, my special edition Christmas one. Right. Uh, cinnamon, cinnamon, and clementine. I see. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so I think they're the only th- the third sponsor over the last forty years after Stella Artois, who we remember so fondly. Aegon the last nine years, and yes, now Fever Tree uh, are the title sponsors of the Fever Tree Championships. Yes. <sighs> oh, I can, I can taste gin and tonic in my mouth as we speak. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. 
You heard it right. A couple of other bits, David. Charlie the ferret has been immortalised in, in, in artistic form um, by my lovely mum. It's a bit, bit, bit indulgent for me to bring that up. But uh, my, uh, uh, as part of Charlie the ferret's role as our official tennis podcast mascot for the year... Um, he now has um, a uh, portrait, which one day I'm sure will hang in a gallery of official tennis podcast mascots somewhere. Yeah? Yeah. Something to aim for, isn't it? Yeah, I have to say, Exhibition. your mum your did an excellent job. Fantastic she's job. Very, she's very, very talented. Yeah. She's very talented. Um, and I know, David, before we wrap things up for podcast number 397... Crikey, we have that many conversations. 397. Um, I know you wanted to pay tribute to someone that tennis has lost this week. Yes, Ken Flack, who was very sadly, uh, very sadly passed away over the last week. Uh, just a real shock as well. It was, it was a sudden... Um, illness that, that he had and, and really so upsetting he, he was a multiple Grand Slam doubles winner alongside Robert Sagusa I remember watching Flack and Sagusa it just rolls off the tongue for me because that was a, a partnership that I watched throughout my childhood and teen years and, and they were great to watch and and it's just so sad and, and our heart's thoughts go out to, to his family Ken Flack Indeed. So that is the tennis podcast for this week. We'll be back next week, of course. I will have drunk a lot of fever tree in that time. Uh, we have been, David. If you've no other business to bring to the table, he's not getting his phone out for pole vault. So uh, we've been the tennis podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport and, of course, uh, with Amanga, who I should reiterate uh, are still offering uh, a discount for tennis podcast listeners t podcast 18 is the code and that gives you 10 percent off accommodation and on their two tennis promotions uh for sort of tennis packages tennis holiday packages which you can check out on their website uh, lamanga.com um so make sure you go there if you want a fancy new forehand uh but yeah we've been the tennis podcast brought to you in association with the telegraph with eurosport with our three executive producers manly bows tennisballs.com and triple s and with the immortalized charlie the ferret a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.